Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, for the coming year, I want to do something a little bit different. I've decided that maybe not exclusively, but for the most part, I'm going to focus on the Old Testament readings for each week. I think, you know, we Catholics especially, maybe we're, we're pretty well aware of, of the gospel, but the church always juxtaposes the gospel with an Old Testament passage, and I'm just convinced very often we don't have a clear sense of what that's all about. So again, I'm not going to be completely exclusive about it, but I think I'll focus a lot this year on the Old Testament. So Let's start now with the beginning of the of the calendar year, as we're beginning this uh, uh, part of the church year just after the Christmas season. I'm going to focus on this extraordinary passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah. How often, by the way, we read from the prophet Isaiah. Might I suggest to uh, my listeners, if you want to start with an Old Testament uh, book, maybe start with Isaiah. We read it a lot liturgically in different uh, parts of the year. But this passage today reveals a central dynamic of all the biblical revelation, and indeed, I think, of the spirituality of every Christian. So let's listen carefully to what Isaiah says. The Lord said to me, You are my servant, through whom I show my glory. You're my servant, through whom I show my glory. Now, everybody knows that Israel was the chosen people of God, right? The people specially singled out from all the nations of the world. But as every prophet of Israel reminds the people, this was not for their own glory. And it certainly was not on account of their merits. Rather, as we hear from Isaiah, they were chosen to be servants to the rest of the world. See, there's the biblical principle. Yes, we have a God who chooses, a God who elects. But election is never for the sake of the elect. It's for the sake of the world. Therefore, the minute Israel would say to the other nations, well, we're superior to you because we've been chosen and you haven't been, they would show how thoroughly they were missing the point of their election. They've been selected as those through whom the Lord will show his glory. Their entire point and purpose was to be a vehicle of God's glory so that everyone in the world could see what God is about and what God is like. Now listen as Isaiah goes on. Now the Lord has spoken who formed me as his servant that Jacob may be brought back to him and Israel gathered to him. Now, this very compact line expresses much of biblical history. For it shows, if you want, the first step in the story of Israel's purpose. 
See, by their correct praise of God, by their moral and spiritual splendor, by their unity in love, the Israelites would attract the nations. The problem is, and you see it throughout the Old Testament, is that they fell so often from this ideal. They were, in fact, scattered both by their sin and by their enemies. Therefore, as a first key step, the gathering in of the tribes of Israel would be a principal work. Knitting the community together around the right praise of God. Remember earlier in Isaiah, we hear that beautiful uh, image of God's holy mountain where all the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord. So that first means Israel gathered together. What's the holy mountain? Zion, where the temple is, the place of right praise. So there's the dream. There's the first step, if you want, in the dream. But now listen as Isaiah presses on. It is too little, the Lord says, for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the survivors of Israel. Okay, so this is clear that we're dealing only with step one. See, it's too little for you, Israel, to be my servant, to restore Jacob and the tribes. Many, evidently, would have been tempted to think that if they became gathered as one and did the will of Yahweh, then they would have fulfilled their mission. They'd be God's holy people. But no, see, Isaiah is telling them, no, that's thinking way too small about your purpose and your vocation. So listen as the prophet goes on. I will make you a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Boy, carve that into your hearts, everybody. I will make you a light to the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. If Israel were ever to see itself as simply set against the nations, it would lose its purpose. If it simply gloried in its own chosenness, it would miss the entire purpose of its being chosen. Here's the biblical key now. They were indeed set apart from the nations precisely for the sake of the nations. Does that make sense? See, the, the danger, the, the problem here is that we, we see the setting apart as an end in itself. No, it's a separation for the sake of deeper and fuller union. Now, one of the stark truths of biblical history is that this sense of Israel's purpose was not widely or consistently held even within Israel. You might say Isaiah's voice here is not exactly a minority voice, but it's, it's a, not a voice that was attended to consistently. But, may I say, the first followers of Jesus, all Jews, of course, 
they got this. They understood this strain within the prophet Isaiah. What did they see now in Jesus? They saw that everything Isaiah was talking about some 800 years before Jesus was fulfilled in him. Look at his public ministry. Reaching out to sinners, reaching out to those on the margins, practicing an open table fellowship, choosing 12 apostles to symbolize the gathered 12 tribes of Israel, including saints and sinners, the righteous and the unrighteous. What's he doing? But he's gathering the tribes of Israel. That's step one, remember? Jacob and Israel coming together. Now there's Jesus affecting this union. Moreover, they saw him cleansing the holy temple. Remember, all the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the top of Mount Zion. That's where the temple is. Jesus cleansing the corruption of the temple and declaring himself the new temple. What's he doing? Gathering the tribes of Israel around him to give right praise to the Father. And then they got this, everybody. Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead, is the king of Israel, the long-awaited Davidic king, and hence, the Lord of all the nations. The vehicle by whom God would now allow his glory to shine to the ends of the world. In this paradigmatic Israelite, Jesus and his humanity, they also saw the God of Israel reaching through him to gather in the tribes of the world. And now we can understand that peculiar and fascinating first century Israelite, Saul of Tarsus, become the Apostle Paul once he had met the risen Jesus. See, Rabbi Shaul would have understood Isaiah in his bones. He knew all about these texts that we were just explicating. And what he saw was the prophecy of Isaiah realized in Jesus. And so what does Paul do? I'm going to announce Christ to the ends of the world. That's, by the way, why Paul wanted to go to Spain. You can see that in his letter to the Romans. He wanted to go to Spain. What did Spain mean for him? It meant the end of the world, right? That's, that's as far as he could imagine the world uh, in his own time. So I want to go all the way to the edges of the world to declare the God of Israel as the light to all the nations. Isaiah came true through Jesus. Okay, so if you've been following this little conversation, you might be tempted to say, well, that's an interesting bit of ancient religious history, but what does that have to do with me? Well, listen to me, baptized Christians. In a word, it's got everything to do with you. What's the purpose of the church, which is both the new Israel and the mystical body of Jesus? It's not to glory in itself. Not to exult in its own separateness. 
but rather the church, the body of Jesus, is meant to become the vehicle by which the whole world is gathered unto God. As Jesus put it, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You don't put the, you don't put the light under a bushel basket. You let it shine. Like ancient Israel, we church people can fall rather easily into the trap of saying, well, you know, I come to Mass, I say my prayers, I live a decent life. I guess I'm doing enough. I'm saving my own soul. Well, I mean, that's fine as far as it goes, but it's entirely too myopic. Why do we go to Mass? Why do we say our prayers? Why do we live decent lives? It's not so much for our own edification. I mean, it is that, sure, but... Its ultimate purpose is so that the world might see in us something so attractive that they are lured to God. I wonder, everybody, how often we assess the quality of our spiritual lives in these missionary terms. What I mean is this. I mean, do we see ourselves as spiritually on the right track precisely in the measure that we've drawn people to Christ. Settling into the private cocoon of our own spirituality might be a legitimate moment in the spiritual process, but it's never an end in itself. Have all of our parishes, and I said this to the the bishops a few months ago, have all of our parishes become missionary societies? So places, sure, where we come to Mass and receive the sacraments and and instruction and so on, fine, fine, fine. But their ultimate purpose is to become missionary societies. See, the question, I'll close with this. Are we, like Israel of old, entertaining way too small a dream in regard to our vocation? Remember the, the prophet says, you know, so yes, Israel... You're my servant. But that's not enough. No, no, you're a light to the nations. So we now, the new Israel, are we dreaming big enough? And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.